Good morning, quitters. Welcome to another episode of Don't Quit Your Day Job. I am your host, Maxim Allen. This is the show where we talk to people about their creative passions. It is December 6, 2020, and today I have an amazing guest with me. She is very prominent in the New York comedy scene. If you know her, you love her. If you don't know her, you will love her. Today, we have Sharia Mattis. <laughs> Thank you. My goodness. That is, you really set me up for failure with that intro. That is, <laughs> please lower your expectations. God damn. That's nice. <laughs> so nice. You flirting with me. <laughs> no, I think it's like, it's one of those intros. I thought of that when I was hosting a mic a while ago. I was like, that's really good. That's but that excellent. is, but that is something that you should only say for like a headliner because if you just bring up someone on like a six minute spot you're like don't shit the bed buddy (laughs) i have had many intros that are like oh this girl is about to and i'm like don't even i'm on my period y'all are not gonna get anything that that intro tried to give me (laughs) this next person coming to the stage is the funniest person in the room guaranteed i start crying (laughs) Like, please don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> please keep the expectations low. So Sharia is a comedian and comedy writer and big, big week for her. You have just landed a job at Netflix is a joke as a writer, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's I not did. under NDA. I can say that. Not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. Now I can know. Now I'm telling everybody. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So uh, if you're at home, give uh, Sharia a round of applause to congratulate her. We'll give you a sec. Okay, excellent, excellent. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, applaud me getting off food stamps. Let's do this. <laughs> that is not a joke. <laughs> so this show is, uh, it's called Don't Quit Your Day Job because I, I like to kind of talk about what people do outside of work, the thing they love, like their true passion. And a couple of our guests have quit their day jobs to work full-time in their passion. And now you are... One of those people who didn't quit a day job, but got a day job, but in their passion, which is huge. Yes. Yes. I did not. I was uh, unemployed. So (laughs) so it's super huge because it's like, because it's not like before this, I was doing a lot of professional comedy writing. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, But like before this, I was a server in a restaurant getting Mm -hmm. yelled at by a white man because, you know, I didn't open the champagne correctly because I'm terrible at it. I was a bad, <laughs> I was a bad server. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, God, you know, like, and then, then this happened, the quarantine happened. And of course I lost my job. Although whatever, that's a different podcast, <laughs> but I lost my job. And, you know, I've been kind of like, after they stopped them cares act checks, you know, I've been really, mm-hmm. really struggling and trying really hard to get a, online customer service job oh my gosh and you know what i mean and and like that was where my head was at right now mm-hmm. and then you know of course i get the packets and that's great but you never expect anything to really come of it you right, know what i right. mean it's it's especially at my level at my level you mm-hmm. know what i mean and so this is oh so so good <laughs> so happy like it's just exactly it's exactly what i needed yeah it's <laughs> It's so incredible. I like when I saw your tweet, I was like, oh my God, she did it. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, you know, like I'm doing it, you know, what yeah. I mean? I'm doing it. I don't, I don't know if it's like, you know, I did it, but it's, it's such a like, cause you know, you do, the, you do comedy 
And that's dumb to be yeah. like, I'm going to make my money off of comedy. Like, that's dumb. Yeah. This is a stupid thing to do. And like, you know, I I didn't do it for so long because it was such a stupid thing to yeah. do. And then I started, I'm pretty new at it. And it's, it's like, okay, this is is the correct path because I've been, I've been so bad at every single job I've ever had forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is so nice to be like rewarded for yeah. being good at a thing <laughs> as opposed to being yelled at for being bad at all the things. <laughs> oh my God. Such a relief. It's yeah. so- such good news like because i was gonna leave i was gonna live over here like i was just gonna come here (laughs) (laughs) set up a box next to the cats (laughs) (laughs) so you should be very happy that i got this job (laughs) we would have taken you in we could have built like a little we got a whole yard we could have built like another room a place for me to run around yeah (laughs) (laughs) perfect So, uh, so you are you're a stand up comedian, mm-hmm. and now you're a comedy writer, mm-hmm. which is amazing. So, when did you? How long has your interest in comedy been? Like, were you a kid when you were interested in comedy? Like, how? What's the earliest comedy exposure you had? Wow. Uh, yeah, no, no. That I was one of those kids that was like raised on comedy. Like, I used to watch over and over again all of Sinbad's specials. Yeah. Um, because that was child friendly for me. So, yeah. my, so my mom would let my dad show me Sinbad, <laughs> but my dad would also show me Pryor, and mm-hmm. he would show me Eddie Murphy's Delirious. Oh wow! <laughs> All kinds of stuff uh, that probably I shouldn't have seen, but that I'm so grateful for having seen because I used to like, I used to basically recreate them. You know, mm-hmm. have you ever seen a little fat six-year-old black girl do a prior bit? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I used to do. You know, so I was definitely, and then I was comedy nerd, like, all my life, even yeah. before I got into comedy. So Okay. Yeah. So, like, when did you start, like, so obviously you're doing impressions as a child of your favorite prior bits. Bad ones, yes. Bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> when When was your first, like, jump into comedy of you performing or doing something comedy? yourself which could be like your first open mic or uh, like something yeah. i don't know were you a talent show kid <laughs> like i mean i was unfortunately uh, a, a theater kid oh you were i was a theater <laughs> kid i was i you know i, I did i went to performing arts school mm. and stuff like that uh, for like middle school oh i mean for high school and i went to like performing arts summer camps and middle school and stuff like that um but like i was i was like a i was like a a painfully awkward anxious theater kid so a comedian yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i just didn't think of that as a path right um and so yeah that but um you know i and then i dropped i i I quit music i quit doing like theater and stuff like that because Mm -hmm. i had like really bad depression and anxiety and all that stuff so i ended up just going to a regular school yeah um and then you know i didn't do that for for a long time after that mm-hmm. but as far as like when i started comedy i started comedy in la i guess it would be almost almost oh no okay so it's like a year and a and a almost two years now almost two years now because i started in february uh so it will be uh it will be two years this february oh wow yeah so well, Damn, you yeah. started after me <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I started really late. It was I one of I thought you've been doing comedy for like five or six years or something. No, 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 no. Um, Whoa. Maybe that's because also when I first started and I started coming out, like doing, people would ask me, like, how long you been doing comedy? And the first time I got asked that and I was like, a few months. And I got mercilessly mocked outside the Grizzly Pear <laughs> to the point that I'm sobbing outside the Grizzly Pear. And I'm like, <laughs> I <hate> comedy. <laughs> And so I started just being like, how how long, how long, if, if you asked me how long I've done comedy, I would have been like, you know, not, not long. Not long, yeah. <laughs> like, l- less than a year. <laughs> so, you know, oh, but like, now I'm fine. With you kill at a show and they're like, how have you been doing this? Be like, oh, that was my first set. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the tea. I did not. <laughs> it was not. My first set was in, was in L.A. In, uh, in, uh, in front of three very, very nice lesbians uh, <laughs> at a woman's mic. <laughs> and they were so supportive. Nice. Um, but that was my first mic. How long were you in L.A.? How many? How much comedy did you do in L.A.? Like, I was there for two weeks. And oh, so, and it was I, short. Yeah, it was short, but it was like, I, I, it was a kind of a magical starting mm-hmm. of, of doing comedy. Because yeah. I, I wanted to do it for a long time. I wanted to do it in Vietnam. I, I like signed up for mics and just didn't show up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I, I really did. And in New York, I did the same thing. And then when I and then I was like, right, let's go to L.A. and let's do it. And I and I did. I had some shitty jokes that I had been trying. Mm-hmm. Um, but people were so supportive. People yeah. were like, the, like this one guy came up to me, just complete stranger. It was like, you got something there. You got something there. Nice. And I was like, very encouraged. And I, mm-hmm. I'm, and that two weeks, I was just going, 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 going. And I like. I fell in I fell in love and then mm-hmm. I came to New York and I was like I'm so glad I did that in LA because they would not have been as supportive. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Get that black bitch off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad. I think I think the people who started elsewhere and then came to New York everyone is grateful that they started elsewhere. Sure. Just it's so hard. Oh my god. Yeah, it's a harsh, you know. That's why I try to be supportive when I'm at open mics yeah. and, and shows and stuff. Even if you suck, unless you're you know, racist or homophobic or transphobic or something, then I yeah. will read you the filth in front of you in the middle of your set. I don't give a shit. <laughs> but other than that, I try to be as supportive as possible because it's fucking yeah. hard and scary, especially you don't know what people are dealing with. I had serious anxiety oh yeah so getting on stage was really scary for me totally i think it's interesting like everyone's like path is different through comedy but there's comedians i know who are like a year or more in who are who you can tell still deal with like a lot of anxiety up on stage and it's like you just got to be supportive. You have to be supportive. Like, honestly, if I had started when I wanted to start, when I was, like, in my 20s or whatever, I mean, I'm still, I'm 18 now. <laughs> you cut that. You cut it out. You cut, the, cut that part out. Okay. Um, <laughs> but if I had started when I was, like, young and in my 20s and I was, like, not on the right medication and I hadn't discovered meditation and any of that stuff, like, I don't know. I don't know what I would have I don't know what that yeah. would have been. Honestly, like I started at 24 in Boulder, Colorado. When did you start? Like two, it, August was my two year mark. So I'm like a little over two years. About the, yeah. But I did, I did 10 months in like Boulder. So it was kind of like different where it's like, it's such a different experience that that felt like warm up for the real time in New York. That's right. That's right. And yes. I think, uh, oh shit, what was I going to say? You... Hang on, hang on. Oh, no, I can't. 
<laughs> See, this nigga smoked too much weed. Oh wait, yeah, am I, I allowed to curse on this thing? Yeah, you can. Okay. I don't. I don't smoke any weed for the listeners, but <laughs> he's, he's high right now. I'm so high. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I just think like being encouraging is good, especially because when you come from other scenes to New York, it's just like heartbreaking, and you just like you got to push through. Yes. <laughs> and yes. Like Lee, like she, I like we talked about this on her episode a couple episodes ago, but. I met her at her fifth open mic ever and she came to Buka and I was like, I told her I like she did her set, which was like really chaotic all over the place. But she ended with a Donald Trump impression. And when she got off stage, I could tell she was new, but I still I came up to her and said, hey, I really like your Donald Trump impression. But we do this mic here every night. You should come back because I know for a lot of people especially when you get into comedy, the comedy scene is very intimidating because everyone knows each other. And it's like this <laughs> thing of like them and me. For sure. <laughs> I'm just going to keep talking because Sharia is choking on her tea. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me clear my throat a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> For sure. That's really helpful to do. Mm-hmm. Also, like, me too. Like, Lee, I met Lee. I don't know what number Mike it was. Wow. You just say her name and she just appears. <laughs> um, I met Lee at Jimmy People's Mics. Okay, yeah. I think that was the one. That was the first time I met you, actually. It was on, like, a Saturday. Jimmy it was a different mic. I hadn't met you yet. I Well, I, like, met you at a Saturday Jimmy People's Mic. And, like, I was hanging out with Lee and, like... You were wearing like an Iron Maiden t-shirt, I think. And that is a different black girl. I have never listened to Iron Maiden. What? I was to, I was wearing a bikini kill uh t-shirt. Oh, okay, like yeah. That. It was some like punker yes. like metal shirt. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I like met you briefly and then we didn't start actually talking until Brooklyn House of Comedy. That's where I like met you, met you. That's what we did. Okay. All right. So I smoke a lot of weed. Yeah. <laughs> So you, I'm going to trust your memory on that. Okay. I think I know for sure that we did meet at a Jimmy People's mic, but mm-hmm. I don't remember if it was the same mic that I met Lee. Probably not. You probably met no, her no. another time. I met her at a at a day, like a day, uh, a like weekday, a, a weekday mic. Yeah. And that's right. I went. I met her at a weekday mic, and like I saw her on stage, and I saw her do. Like of course her 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 set was all over the place, but then mm-hmm. I saw her do her grandma joke. Yeah. That and then, and you know how you see like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, like the rest, you're like, huh? Ding. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to talk to this bitch. Yeah. And, so, <laughs> and then, and we had started about the same time as, it? no, no, she started a little bit after me. Yeah. Um. And, and so she had been so open and, and she knew everybody already. Yeah. You know what I mean? She knew everybody already. Yep. And I don't know a nobody and I don't be talking to people, but like Lee talked to me and was like, yeah, let's be friends. Let's go to mics together. And like, da, 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 da. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> you know? I was like, first of all, she's not from here, and yeah. obviously, but like, thank God, you know. And she was mm-hmm. like, so warm and friendly, and that will keep you going to mics. Absolutely. Other than that, like, especially no shade to Jimmy Peoples, he loves me. <laughs> <laughs> I love him, but you know, th- those mics are. It's a brutal one. <sighs> those are rough mics. I've heard harsh. Especially yeah. for a black queer woman. <laughs> it's just, what is that? I used to just get on stage at Jimmy. Jimmy. That's how I got better at crowd work. Is just yeah. Because I would watch 
these straight white men do these really offensive, terrible, gross jokes. And then I'd get on stage and just yell at them. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's crowd work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I only I probably went to the weekend Jimmy Peoples probably like eight times. I don't think I ever had a good set there. I just went up and just like if you just they're like you do material there. It's like, no, what do you why are you doing material? You're supposed to get up here and talk about how shitty you feel right this moment. I mean, yes, <laughs> I do a little bit of material. And then if they try because they try not to laugh. I yeah. see people trying not to laugh. Yeah. And then I have fun. Yeah. And then I go off on it. And that's fun. Except <laughs> except when uh, when whenever Usama Siddiqui is there. Sometimes I'll go there and I'll be like, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to take my dick out and blah, blah. And then Usama Siddiqui will show up and I'll be like, hi. <laughs> and then I'll fucking bomb because I'm not relaxed. You know what I mean? Because I suddenly care what one person thinks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. Uh, there's always a select few people that are like a couple notches above me and stand-up comedy and if they're in the audience even on a mic i'm like all right i know i'm looking at you too much but fucking laugh at my jokes or it's like <laughs> leave get out yeah. <laughs> you are making me uncomfortable by being funny and there all right for this next big bit i'm gonna need the following comedians to leave the room exactly. <laughs> yes i've wanted to do that yeah. like legitimately all right like, this is a, this is a new joke so you you and you leave okay Yes. yes, I wish you could do that. I really do. Oh. You're like, I think you're hilarious. You have a show I want to be on. That's right. And I know you're just cool. So, could so you guys... all of you get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you come, you do a little bit of comedy in LA, and you come back to New York because mm -hmm. you're from here, right? Yes, I'm from Bed Stuy. Yeah. Bed Stuy, do or die. That's right. Yep. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so you come back, and then what were some like early triumphs you had in your stand-up comedy career like first six months wow okay i had some pretty cool triumphs my early in my career um i guess so uh i am the two-time winner of the laughing buddha comedy competition Ooh, which is a bringer show <laughs> i know it's a bringer show it's not anything but it felt like something <laughs> it felt like a lot you know my, I mean? my expression my friends all know this my catchphrase is no bringers no buddha that is the best advice i have <laughs> hunks of fucking coins like poker chip coins that i will never use again oh my god because that's what i won for paying 50 dollars to me but it was amazing it was an amazing experience mm -hmm. because a janine garofalo was there which was incredible <laughs> and b i fucking won yeah and yeah. i and it was one of those situations where i walked in and all the other comics like seemed so i also have that kind of view of everybody else everybody else is better than me you yeah know, whenever i walk in so like i didn't talk and i was nervous and da -da -da -da. Mm. and then i killed even though when i watch those tapes i'm like this is shameful yeah and it hurts i don't do any of those jokes again and i looked so uncomfortable on stage but i killed mm -hmm. and i won and it was like even if that's a f if if it's a hollow false victory, yeah, it was something that helped push me along. Oh yeah, I think um, you get those little like boosts, especially early on when it's so difficult, yes. and then you get that like, oh, I can do this. Yes, I, my first show, I took third place in a stand-up competition, and if you were in the top four, 
you got a spot on Aspen Laugh Festival on their opening night. So okay, my that's fucking cool. My first show ever was a five minute <gasps> festival spot. Oh my god! And I didn't. It was okay. I was like at the time I was probably five months into comedy, but it it was fun and it was really cool to experience. But in hindsight, I'm like. I could have done a lot this better. Is, that's the hard thing about some of the the early victories yeah. is that you're like, fuck, why did I get that early? Like, yep. <laughs> like I did, I did the stand up NBC. You know, you know the the, the NBC Unitips. The yes, the one that everyone camps out for like ten hours yes. outside the building for. Yes, yep. <laughs> yes, I did that, and I got the call back for it. Um, and that was a huge early victory because yeah. I had been like four months into comedy. Oh time. wow! Yeah, and and I and I and I went up there and everybody, wow, you know. And then the call I got it was only two people who got the call back from Whoa. the set of, and I was one of them, and it was it was amazing for me. And I and then I went for the callbacks, and because I was stupid, I didn't do the one joke that, I, and it was the Bed Stuy joke that I had. Yeah, yeah. That was one of my first. The other jokes that I kept. Yeah, <laughs> the first joke that I actually kept. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I, so I did that for the audition. And when the callback came, uh, I stupidly took the advice of somebody who told me not to do that joke. They told me to do a brand new untested joke. Oh no! <laughs> to show. Oh no! I know. <laughs> to show that I'm like versatile. It's so, and I did that, and it was so bad. It bombed so, so hard in front of comics that I like respect. Like, Kanice Mobley was there. No, it was Brown West was there. Everybody was like, all the, everybody you can think of that is like, oh my God. You know what I mean? Um, they were all there watching me do this terrible joke that I will never, ever, 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 ever do again because it was bad. <laughs> and Even if it was a good joke and it bombed, that pain in that room would be like, never doing this again. It would hurt, but I would still, if it were a good joke, I could at least be like, at least that was a good joke. It wasn't. It was a bad joke. And oh, like, no. it's like the casting director of like uh, NBC and all this. They're watching me do this terrible, untested joke. And of course I didn't get it oh, you know no. what i mean and that would have been a great credit would have been a yeah. great opportunity <laughs> but thank god i didn't get it because i was dumb enough to do an untested yeah. <laughs> get an audition that that's that big and fuck that opportunity up so i wasn't ready yeah you know what i mean i wasn't ready and now i'm like because you know and then i was like i'm gonna come back in the summer and then this shit happened so i yeah. didn't do that you yeah. know what i mean and i'm like god damn it <laughs> Yeah, now you're doing great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So when do you uh, when did you start kind of pivoting to comedy writing? So what's funny is like I got into stand up comedy because ultimately what I want to do is write comedy. Oh really? Yeah, that was what I what I didn't think because I was like, how long will my medication work enough for me to be on stage? realistically and and that's what i want to do i want to write tv you know that's ultimately the goal for me is write tv um and that's one way to get in because i didn't go to harvard Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah (laughs) there's only two ways into comedy tv writing and that's Mm -hmm. either you went to harvard or you gotta you know eat shit doing stand-up for a while yeah um and so i but i think when i first started like actually writing things that people would see i think honestly it wasn't until because, you know, I write sketches and then never make them because yeah. I'm, a, I'm a mess. Uh, but I, I started writing for, uh, um, oh, my God, I'm I'm a mess. See, I have period brain right now. Um, 
<laughs> for a weekend pup date. Oh, is, that's right. Yeah. Oh, you remember that? Yeah. You. Oh, so you were the. Uh, you watched. Um. <laughs> they, they I watched were, the first couple. You watched the first couple. Yeah. It's uh. It's a really super cute show and idea. Um. Uh, like Ricky a, Glore. Uh. Uh. You know. Uh, came up with it. And it's like a satire news show, but it's all done with Muppets. With puppets. With yes. puppets. Yes. Yeah. Muppets are trademarked. Don't okay. Puppets. <laughs> it's all done with puppets. Yeah. And like. There's like a, and it's it's such a great concept. It's like a sort of like a children's show news satire, mm-hmm. not for children. Right. You know what I mean? And I think it's such a it's such a great idea. And uh, Ricky Glore reached out to me to first just write one bit, and then I wrote another bit, and then he was like, "Do you want to be co-head writer?" So we like got together and like started writing stuff. And I'm really appreciative of that because that helped me do like deadlines and actually have to do and also discover that satirical news writing is very difficult on the soul. It's hard on the spirit, especially at the time. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So Because that was like early pandemic, too. No, it actually wasn't. It was like, oh, I mean, like it was. okay. so it was from early pandemic until like I started doing I stopped doing it in like july august okay um so but but i i was i became co-head writer in like june okay yeah and june is the uprising time right 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 so i was trying to make funny cute sketches about black death (laughs) and defunding the police (laughs) and and that is extremely good exercise for trying to make shit funny that is not funny because it's so serious in its nature yeah like and and also, I felt like a, a sense of responsibility and importance, despite the fact that not many people watched it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, if someone does watch it, I want to come with some real shit. You know what I mean? But I think that was, that's my first experience, I guess, writing things that were then produced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Um, but, uh, and then, you know, of course, I'd help out, helped out with little sketches and stuff that had been done, but nothing. This is pretty much my big you know like mm-hmm. other than the packets that i've done and the pilot that i'm writing and like whatever others in the sketches and stuff like this is the big this is a biggie so i am i've got a lot to prove yeah so a, like a few people have told me i would be a good comedy writer but i know nothing about the comedy writing world like i currently write satire for a uh crowdfunding satire site called jump kick yes so yeah. i write satire here and there but uh what is what is tell me about the, the writing packet process? What what is this about? Yeah, that's like your application, right? Sort of. That's like your audition. It's okay. like your writing audition. I would say is more more than that. Um, because like so, it's such a. I also am. I don't know how that yeah. works because it, the way it works is someone knows you, and then uh, a show says we're looking, or show or a production company says we're looking for somebody. To, we're looking for a writing team. Yeah. Or we're looking for a writer, one writer to join the team. Right. And so it's word of mouth that someone says, okay, uh, I know somebody who ha- who is a writer. And then they send you a packet. And the packet is like uh, assignment, right? Like a, right? like a test assignment. 12 and times 12, 144. Exactly. And, yeah. It's just a math <laughs> test. <laughs> I'm fucking so glad that's not it because I have dyscalculia. Um, <laughs> so it's like, and it's different for every single show that I've done. Right. It's, um, it's like, it's just like, do, it's basically do what you would have to do in the writer's room. Right. Write 
a script or monologue and then another script based on this uh, brief, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or pitch this uh, segment or mm-hmm. all of it. You know okay. what I mean? And you'd have to do all of it. Um, and for Netflix, it was it was it was a bit more involved because it was like you have to make like assets and copy and make the the things that you you know games and uh, ta- and like things like that. You 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 would write like you would write the um like they'd be like okay write something for Big Mouth write a, a like mm-hmm. they'd give you like a, a picture for Big Mouth season four and be like write the thing. Okay. And you'd write the thing. So it's 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 so much of you having mm-hmm. to just come up with funny shit and then make it look funny. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And make it and then write something funny mm-hmm. <laughs> to make it like pop. You know what I mean? Like so you're writing 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 and then creating a, a look. You're creating a thing. So in in your experience the packets is it like one packet is like one task or is it kind of like you've got some short form some long form kind of a mix? Exactly. Okay. It gives you multiple tasks. So it would give you so basically it'd be testing you on the multiple things that you would be doing in a writer's room, right? Okay. It'd be like this is how you how do you write a monologue? How do you pitch specific jokes? How do you write sketches? How do you you know what I mean? That was mostly what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, also, if you have to pitch things, you have to pitch talent things, pitch things for, for what, uh, what do you think this person will do? Mm -hmm. Uh, if it's like a show with guests or something like that, you know what I mean? Or like with Netflix, they have guests, they have the, the the standup comics do things. So that's your, that's what you have to do. And it's different for every single show. Mm -hmm. So you just have to like it's a lot it's a lot Interesting. and they'll be like and then you know your deadline is due and i got uh like i've gotten packets two days before they were due and then just didn't sleep <laughs> you know what i mean that was what it was for for netflix i got it wow. like two days before it was due so how did how did you get the connection to receive the packet i dead ass don't know but what i think it is is like the first packet i did i had never done a packet before the first packet i did i got through uh brian bahe you know him right no oh my god he's hilarious he's so funny uh he's he's a comedian he's done loud bitch he's he did the loud bitch one that i did uh um at the protests loud bitch is sharia's oh, comedy show yes i always forget that we not just talking <laughs> <laughs> so, like yes check it, check it out it's on zoom it's wonderful it is on zoom and it's i'm gonna get it together don't worry um <laughs> but it's a queer femme bipoc show with one white guy who we make fun of um which is so endearing it's, it's such a wonderful little touch <laughs> it's cute too thank you i have to figure out how to market it and everything like that but i think it's a good show anyway he's amazing and he got a packet for um last week tonight and they asked him do you know anybody who would also be interested in doing interesting and he was like sharia because and normally and that's why writers rooms are so white and mm-hmm. so that's why, I, you know, that's why you hire your friends. You it's like hire, a nepotism boom, factor. Boom. You always hire your friends. So if you went to Harvard and you worked on the Lampoon and they are looking for a writer for this writer's room, you're going to reach out to other white guy writers who were on the mm. Lampoon. And now you have a writer's room full of white guys who went to Harvard and were on the Lampoon. Yeah. And they're like, why isn't the show diverse? <laughs> 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 it's like, that's why. And there's a program. I, I don't know if they're still taking people there's a program called connect the writers and it's for specifically writers comedy writers of color Mm -hmm. oh damn 
I know, right? Every eye, poor white man. <laughs> You're telling me that my way into this industry is I have to go to Harvard now? Exactly. I already went to school. That's it. You have to go to Harvard. You have to, those are the options. And that's also why I didn't do comedy for so long because I'd always wanted to do what I was like, I've already fucked up my life. I fucked up my choices. I can't ever do comedy because I didn't go to Harvard. <laughs> Yeah, oh my gosh. And I'm, I never did the whatever it takes to be a white man. I never filled out the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm fucked. Sorry, you, you know? don't own any salmon colored shorts. We I can't don't. let you in. I know. I was like, let me buy some boat shoes and start flipping <laughs> my collar because I'm trying to make this shmanny. Um, you like, haven't done your 80 hours of rowing team. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I did enough time on a boat with white people. My ancestors <laughs> have done enough of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing never again. My ancestors <laughs> said never again. Um, <laughs> but like, and that's, that's the, like, you know what I mean? That's what, that's why writers rooms are the way they are. And that's why TV mm-hmm. is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And so they made this program called connect the writers for um, BIPOC and uh, queer, but specifically for writers of color and yeah. uh, queer writers and things like that. People who wouldn't normally be in a writer's room mm-hmm. where, uh, they now are, they act as the connection, right? It's right. run by, um, by, oh, again, I am, oh, my, I've lost all the blood in my body. Um, oh my God. Oh God. She's so funny too. And she runs this very important thing. <laughs> and, uh, and she's amazing and she, Jojo Firestone Joe Firestone Jesus Christ glad we didn't have to go into the fanny pack right? to get on the phone oh my god that's so shady and I've talked she's so sweet and amazing and she runs this beautiful thing and I totally forgot her name I smoke too much weed and so Jojo Firestone she runs it so she gets the packets and she oh, okay. sends them to this thing that connects writers of color that's and, amazing exactly that's and that's like, how so cool and now last week tonight has a black girl on the writers team whereas mm-hmm. before they had an all-white writers team and i oh, love wow. that show exactly you would be surprised at how many shows have an all-white male writers room wow <laughs> like, you would be legitimately shocked if they look like kkk meetings <laughs> <laughs> I've looked it up. You know what I mean? I've mm. looked up writer's rooms. I've always done that because especially when I'm watching a show and they have like a black person in the show and yeah. that black person is saying words that don't sound like a black person was saying. Yeah. I'm like, let me check. Have you have you seen uh, Big Mouth season four? Yet? I have not yet. It just came out, right? I yeah, haven't I haven't watched it it's yet. It's so good. But... Honestly, I'm only watching Netflix shit on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a there's a scene where uh Missy, she she's going through her identity crisis about being half black, half white. Uh-huh. She's trying to discover her blackness. Yes. And she's like, I haven't figured out my identity. I'm voiced by a 37-year-old white woman. Bitch. <laughs> and I, lo- I so and and they and AO Beery is now voicing Missy, right? Oh really? Yeah, they they. So at first she was voiced by Jenny Slate, and I I had issues with that. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, that's the kind of thing I would complain about to myself in my room. And then the uprising happened, mm-hmm. and people were like, "So if Netflix supports blah 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 blah, why is this black girl voiced by Jenny Slate?" Mm-hmm. And Jenny Slate said, "You right." Nice. And step down. And, and Scarlett Johansson doesn't exactly. <laughs> so you know, we're all good. No, Ayo fucking Edabiri is the voice of Missy. And now that's, I mean, like, that's such a, that's something that happens only when there's a a, yeah. a, a majority or all white writer's room. 
because right. there's not one because no black person would be like no uh, 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 uh. if you had one black person in the writer's room that would have never happened right and now because of the uprising mm-hmm. people are having these 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 progressive rooms yeah. are now having to face the fact that like we actually have to include absolutely voices that are not of our own experience to totally. write about people outside of our own experience and i i think that's so cool with the connect the writers like that's yeah. like that idea is amazing like a, a big topic that comes up for me in comedy and a lot of the comedians i know is just giving back to your community and so like something like that where it's like oh one person is getting packets and they'll just give them to everybody in this group to give them that opportunity that's right it's that's so cool that's right and it's like and it's it's so because i and then i got packets and i honestly think the reason why i got the netflix thing or got the packet is because, and I have gotten other packets since then. So I did the last mm-hmm. week tonight packet and I got good feedback on it, but they didn't hire me, obviously. Right. And so, but when they send your packet out to someone, like they, they, other people get it. So it's kind of in the system. Exactly. Yeah. And so now they're like, oh, hey, that was pretty funny. And that's more of the style that we like. And then they send it to you. And also let me shout out. Uh, uh, Daniel O'Brien because the, Connect the Writers doesn't only send you packets it also hooks you up with a mentor Whoa! Yeah. and your mentor is someone in the field like you fill out a little form someone who is doing the thing that you want to be doing mm-hmm. so I have a mentor who is did you ever watch Cracked did you ever go do Cracked were you ever one of those white boys mm-hmm. I was one of those white boys no <laughs> it's like Cracked.com yes Cracked.com I, I think that was a little bit before my time Wow, fuck you. I'm sorry. I'm also young. You, fu- I was just precocious. No, I'm an old well, bitch. One of my favorite <laughs> podcasters slash journalists used to work for Crack. Who? So, uh, Robert Evans. Oh, okay, yes, Robert Evans. Yes. He is He's great. wonderful. Yes, yes. Everyone listen to Behind the Bastards. Yes, because, I love Behind the Bastards. Oh, it's such a good, yes, it's, it's really good and really informative. It was the first podcast I started listening to. <gasps> and so that is such a high standard to hold all other podcasts to because it just it's so good. There's so much information. Yes. It's so fun. Yes. And he just puts together the history and the facts so cleanly. Yes. And when you listen to a bunch of episodes, you're like, there's so many parallels in like how our world works. That's I right. I love Behind the Bastards. I will say they need more black guests. Yeah. Because sometimes they talk about black ass things because it's history. So yeah. things are, you know what I mean? And, and, I'll, and it'll be like a guest that like doesn't get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, this would be better with a black comedian at it. Yeah. But you know, I mean, no it, shade to Robert Evans. You yeah. know what I mean? Love him. Love Behind the Bastards. I've been listening to it all the time. And what you were talking about earlier, like hiring people you know i find that in podcasts there's some podcasts i really love that have a new guest every week but like the host is a white guy and then most of the guests will be like white guys and i'm like whenever i hear even if it's like a woman to begin with it's like nice we gotta change the pace this episode if it's a woman of color it's like oh my god like (laughs) nice like Like, yes and i think like having the like it's one of the things that makes comedy beautiful, and I think we all kind of realize this around 2011, 2012, is just having the diversity and the extra perspectives around just enriches the whole thing. I mean, like, you realize that 2011, 2012. I've always been saying that. Yeah. I've always been the black girl complaining about something that everyone's like, shh. Well, to, to be fair, I didn't seriously start watching stand-up until like around that time. Really? I did not know that about you. Well, because I my first stand-up special I ever watched was Dimitri Martin Person in 2007, Whoa. I think. 
And then I didn't really watch a whole ton of stand-up outside of Dimitri Martin through high school. He's very different from like a regular, you know, yeah. like a standard. Stand- I, love I, him. Love him. Him I love him. Him and Tignataro are my two all-time favorites. Do you like Julio Torres? I haven't watched his <gasps> stuff. You see, if you like Dimitri Martin, I mean, no shade to Dimitri Mar- Martin, but Julio Torres is the mm-hmm. shit. Julio Torres is Dimitri Martin with... Uh, an art background okay i'll <laughs> check know, him out he's incredible his his hbo special is it's so good it's oh, so good i'll have to watch that and honestly when he was on like i'm not you know when he was on snl like his sketches on snl are legendary yeah legendary like like the fisher price uh mm-hmm. playset for sensitive boys like <laughs> the well for sensitive Oh, was that, that the the Halloween costumes for sensitive boys as well? No, that, no, no, that was sorry, that was a different show. That oh, was, it's a different show. Okay, that right, was right. like a Mad TV or a Key and Peele, where they're like, "You want to stop your feminine boy from prancing? Put him in a square robot costume this Halloween." <laughs> That's not Key and Peele. <laughs> Who is that to find that? I think it, it's either Mad TV or SNL. It's I can't probably remember. yeah, either one of those. It's not Key and Peele. I, 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 yeah. Oh my god, that's. That sounds really funny. I want to check that out. Yeah. That sounds really funny. <laughs> but yeah, so in like when I got to college in 2012, I my friends were all watching like Louis C.K. And that's when I started watching a lot of stand-up. But then it was like, oh, like I can tell that people like it started to branch off. And then by like 2015, it was like Netflix is so diverse in their stand-up comedy lineup for like compared to what would have been in the past. That it's like who doesn't love listening to stories about other people's perspectives and lives? Like, it's so much better. See, that's so interesting because actually my entry into stand-up was that black people did stand-up. Like, because I used to watch mm. this show called, and again, I'm going to show my age. Uh, there was a show called Comic View on BET. Okay. Comic View on BET. Coming <laughs> to you six nights a week. Get your laugh on. No? Okay. So that was, and it was like a show. And then there was also Deaf Comedy Jam. So these were shows with exclusively black comedians. Right. And like once in a while, there'd be like a white guy with some flavor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and so they, so that was how I watched comedy from the time that I was little. And so it was Pryor, Murphy, Sinbad, and then all the people on Comic View, the kings of comedy, the queens of comedy. Mm-hmm. Monique was one of my like, is still one of my comedy like she's a she's a goddess. Like she's mm-hmm. a, she's a go- like. Have you ever seen uh, I Could Have Been Your Cellmate? No. You got to watch that. That is one of the best comedy specials of all time. Yeah. She does a set in a women's prison. Whoa. And she does a whole special in a women's prison. And she does. And it's interspersed with uh, interviews with the, the the women who are in the in the prison and like about their lives. Holy shit. And like she has one girl come on stage and sing. And this girl can sing like an angel. And she's wearing like a she's wearing her like her like prison uh like outfit but with like bejeweled (laughs) and she was like you know i had to get you know and it's like she relates to them and she's and the whole special is also geared toward like i could have been here you know what i mean i too was out in these streets while and doing some dumb shit or because Mm -hmm. or because some man told me to do stuff and there but for the grace of god go i yeah so i'm gonna come here and share my gift with you but it was it's not that heavy-handed it's done right in a comedic way and whereas like i think a lot of male comedians blessed are so self-important that like they are like i am amazing i am the champion and what i do is the most important (laughs) whereas like monique is like i have a great gift and i'm gonna come and lift Mm -hmm. other people's spirits because that's and the, the, the people who need it the most right and i think that is one of like 
it's just so legendary. I can't believe it belongs in the canon of great stand-up specials. I'll okay. just say that. <laughs> just say that. That sounds so, that's so cool. Yeah, you should watch it. Like, I think, and that's the type of stuff where it's like when people say like, oh, like stand-up comedians are supposed to push boundaries and be the voice. It's like, it's stuff like that 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 Boom. falls under. It's not the stuff that's like, I'm going to find a way to say every racist slur in a creative joke. Like, <laughs> And this is also the thing about that because they're always like, I'm pushing boundaries and I'm doing what you wouldn't expect. And it's like, bro, you're a white straight man saying transphobic, homophobic, and racist shit. I expect that. <laughs> Everyone expects that. Yep. You're just doing the same shit your grandpa did. Yep. You are not new. You're not pushing any boundaries. You're just yeah. doing the same shit. The pushing of the boundaries is the things that make a lot of the white men and a lot of the comedians uncomfortable, which is the PC, the thing yeah. of like, don't shit on marginalized people yeah. in your set. Just don't do it. You're you you do you can't have it both ways. You can't right. be like, I am the voice of this generation and what I say has massive importance, and that's why I get to go on stage in front of a mic and say it, but also say it's just comedy. It doesn't matter what I say. Right, exactly. It's not important. And I I think that's something that like always bothered me. Like in a, this this occurs in more frequently amongst new stand-up comedians is they go for the shock factor and they're like, this is like oh, I get on stage with a microphone so there's no accountability, right? It's like, that's not it's true at the all. the opposite. Yeah. The things you're saying are are going to be said in front of a bunch of people louder than everyone in the room while you're in front of everybody. Yeah. The things you say are now important. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I had a, oh, I got into a, like a real argument outside of uh uh St. Mark's under St. Mark's okay at, at the mic you, yeah listen bitch I know what I have it, my brain is dust I've been in the house so, <laughs> so under St. Mark's I was having like the mic whatever that, yeah that I love under St. Mark's but that mic is so long you remember that mic mm, I never went to that one you I've never went to that mic? I've only been to shows there really yeah yeah you've never been to that mic that mic is it's great because it's pretty diverse it's got yeah. the like grungy like uh, gross like oh, dude, I'm gonna say the F word you know mm. what I mean those kinds of guys and then it's also got like very cool uh, queer comics and it's got like musicians and stuff but it is seven hours long and it's such a long <laughs> mic. it's such a long mic I, I've been there since th till three in the morning sometimes because it's like a bucket Whoa. lottery yeah it's so stupid um uh, no shade L love you hope you're doing all right during the quarantine <laughs> um but i got into an argument with a bunch of comics and like one was sort of new i think but okay this is a young black cis man who just started doing comedy and said the reason why i started to do comedy the only reason why i started to do comedy was to say offensive things on stage that's literally what he said those are what Ugh. he said and i was like you are a black man in america and someone hands you a microphone and the only thing you want to do is offend people like something's up you have things to say you have a story to tell that needs to be told yeah and instead you're just going to do the same shit white men do mm -hmm. like it's so troubling to me and the reason is because those people have only seen comedy through one view right right and they think that's what a comedian does and that's what comedy is right and to think outside that is to to defile the sacrosanct <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, the comedy, the to, the to be a comedian is to offend. It's not. It's, yeah. It's not. Exactly. And, and they don't know their history. You know, they don't really know what the history of, of how you used to be. Hold off on stage for saying fuck. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So the cops would come and get you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just for talking. And so now that means that has that, that carries weight. And so you should think about the things that you say. Mm-hmm. First, it should be funny. I mm-hmm. hate as I hate the other side of the, the the spectrum where they get on stage and they're like, I am angry about the thing. And it's like, yes, but you have to make it funny. Yeah. The first and foremost is the funny. Otherwise, it's just a TED talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like. I think there needs to be a balance of it. It yeah. needs to be like, yes, first and foremost, the most important thing is to be funny. But also, it's important to be funny while saying truth. Truth. Real truth. Not like, I'm saying something that people are going to get mad about. That doesn't mean it's the truth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it just means people are mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, real truth. Real important things. Telling a story and sharing your experience. Because that is... The problem with people in the world is that they don't understand other people's experiences yes. that are outside of their own. Mm-hmm. And that's the core element of compassion. Mm-hmm. And that is how, and if as a comedian, my goal at least is to make you feel lighter, happier, that you've learned something and that maybe you have just a bit more compassion for someone that you, or a situation that you normally would never, ever think about. Yeah. You feel me? That's Absolutely. why I talk about fibroids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like and i always thought that that was what makes comedy really good a lot of times like yeah things are just funny and like but the really great comedians came with something to say yes and like some like modern examples like one of my uh who who was it Patton oswalt his annihilation special he talks about coping with his wife's death yeah michelle mcnamara rest in power and it's like yeah, it's like a devastating moment in the special, but he's so funny and profound with it. It's yeah. like, this is wonderful. Yeah. And then like, um, ha, is it Hassan Minaj who does the story about homecoming? It's Hassan Minhaj, and homecoming is, again, belongs in the caveat of great, great stand-up specials. Yeah. But continue, yes, my baby. But yeah, like... Um, which, which, oh. which scene are you talking about? The one where he talks about the, the after 9-11? Yeah. And his dad? Yeah. Yeah. And... uh. Well, the one like literally the homecoming part too, where like his date's parents are like weird about him. <laughs> she yeah, dates, what's the long name? And then she, she marries that guy. And yeah. the, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, oh shoot, there was one other that I was thinking with his of. sister. Yeah, that one made me cry. Yeah. The story of his sister and how he like messed up her bike and how she was the one who made the family go back and talk to his wife's mm-hmm. family so that he could be married. And he's like, and now I look at this woman and I got to marry the woman of my dreams because this little brown girl that I, (laughs) my family just dropped off at my house, stood up for me at a Mm -hmm. time when nobody else will. Like, Hassan is such a good everything. He's so good at everything and he's so beautiful and kind. And like, that's the kind of comedy that like needs to be seen. Mm -hmm. My baby. Yeah. My baby. (laughs) My kid. And yeah, just stuff like that. It's just like, it's really great. And for me, this is like such a dumb thing to complain about. But as like a straight white guy from the suburbs, I I want some perspective to bring to the table to tell something good and meaningful. But I'm just like, I'm just out here being silly. I, I, I got nothing to say most times. No, I mean, I think, see, the thing is, the best comedy is stuff that seems silly, but actually does say something. And I think you have a lot of jokes that are like that that mm-hmm. like like the pickle joke and that fl- you know that's <laughs> yeah. political that's a political joke yeah it's also about 
briny or you know what i mean yeah. it's that's that one the pickle joke the the rat fuck alley joke you know what i mean oh, i'm gonna tell you my idea i i'm sorry to interrupt uh, no but... no i thought i was like fucking up your sets no <laughs> no <laughs> but i was i got on the trend the other day and i thought i want to make a crew neck sweater that says rat fuck alley jazz ensemble <laughs> like a team sweatshirt you should absolutely <laughs> make that i would i would buy i would buy that that's great yes. okay and yeah. I, i'm like i want to get them printed but i'm like is it corny to wear my own joke on a sweater but i'm, I'm gonna make my own shirts now that i'm getting checks <laughs> and i'm gonna be like and people are gonna be like oh what's that i'm like it's my joke here's my business card yeah you know what I mean? right. fuck you you're a comic <laughs> you have no time for shame yeah <laughs> Yeah, I guess I guess that one is kind of like has a little bit of a message in there too. It's like it's like gentrification yes. themed, yeah. Yes, and also your perspective as a white straight cis man who is dating a, a Chinese woman who is you know what I mean who, and living in New York at the mm-hmm. epicenter of the apocalypse, you know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> like there's there's a lot within your own experiences. It's just about looking for it. You yeah. know what I mean? Even I had that feeling like what am I going to talk about? I can't talk about these things. Yeah. There's probably things that you would just never ever think to talk about on on a stage. Mm-hmm that absolutely need to be said and mm. that's what you need to share you know what i mean i'll have to think about that like you got it i was writing i had a few jokes about dating like lee but the issue was is i i'm always erring on the side of caution where i'm like i don't want this to just be a cheap like haha my girlfriend's chinese oh, joke yes. you know yes. like i want it to be like a little bit more than that like i, I was working on a joke for a bit where it's like my one of my favorite meals that i would cook for myself as a single guy is just pan-fried tofu with rice with a little bit of soy sauce and lee saw me eating this and she was just like this makes me sad (laughs) and she went to the kitchen she cooked a better meal in less time yes and she didn't know that's one of my favorite childhood foods because my mom would make that for me so she just ruined this was y'all on food stamps (laughs) (laughs) no i mean we we had some we had some rough times, but it was just like easy and like cheap for my mom to make like, and healthy too. Yeah, and so but the the punchline of the joke is now whenever now whenever I see another white guy Asian girl couple walking down the street, I like see him and I go, "You too, huh? She teaching you about taste buds? She's like, teaching you about taste buds about seasoning? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the great. joke starts with like this is the first time I'm dating someone who seasons their food. Oh like, my god, that's hilarious." That's, is she the first non-white woman you've been with? Yeah, I've only I've only had like two girlfriends. Oh, yeah, in the past, you're from so. Colorado, right? Yeah, very very white. It's like the mountains. I mean, it's like I'm not I'm like in Denver, like the suburbs of Denver, but more on the mountain edge. But Denver is predominantly white and Hispanic, Mexican, and um, there's also pockets of like Vietnamese, Korean, and East African, but not m- not a lot of those. Wow. It, it, Okay, I didn't even know that that was that diverse over there. I'm gonna be real. It's it's more diverse the more in the in the city city you, get. City you are. Once I you think... get out to the suburbs, it's very white, very cookie cutter houses. There's but... there's a history of that. That's not uh that's by design. Yeah, <laughs> reason for that. Yeah, and yeah. it's like I lived in Boulder before I moved here. I was living in Boulder for probably two years, okay. and it was Boulder is so goddamn white that's what yeah cu boulder has a lot of diversity because there is a college there so we do get people from around the world but like the people who are not college age it's very homogenous it's just like old rich white hippies and everyone there is kind and very like left-leaning and very socially aware but the lack of diversity 
it's weird because everyone is like, oh, yeah, we love black people. We love Hispanic people. We love Asian people. But when they actually meet one, they're so cautious and they don't have that exposure that it's like they're walking on their tiptoes like, oh, can I say this? I know. That's I I think or I mean, I prefer that. I prefer uh, white people walking on their tiptoes to the opposite. I've seen a lot of leftist because, you know, I spent some time in Thailand. Mm -hmm. I was like on this like uh, little island of, you know, this base. It was beautiful. And uh, and it was great. So a lot of leftist, very like hippie people, bohemian people living yeah. on that island. Um, and they are racist a lot of the time. Mm. And it's a different, <laughs> it's a different kind of racism. Yeah. But it still pisses you off. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's like, it's it's and it's almost worse because they could not possibly conceive of themselves as racist because they love all right. beings. But it's this like underlying thing where it's just like we're not sure how to be around these people. And like, we kind of, it's like that. I don't know. The, it's, uh, yeah. In grouping, out grouping. Yes. It's subconscious. Because this is the thing. Even if you are like, I'm not racist. I don't hate anyone. You're still probably racist. Yeah. It's in the ether. It's everywhere. It's, it's on the land that you live. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's the basis of so much of our society. Yeah. Racism. And like and, when, when our, like my parents' generation, when they yeah. say I'm not racist, that means they don't say things out loud Boom. to people because their parents were like aggressive racists. Boom. So they were like, I will never ever do something. I would never attack someone. Yeah, what? For I would being never racist. burn a cross. But then their beha- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like there's levels. But then their behavior <laughs> yep. and like the way they are around people of color and is And the way like, they think. Yeah. And the way they view the world. Like yeah. it's that's the where the racism is. Mm. And I wish that we as a society could stop turning racism into something that is like he's got the racism yeah like it's like no we all got the racism yeah and we all have to do something about it like it's not a lot of times since the uprising too i've been doing shows and you don't have that joke and i'm like oh that white man's not scared or whatever or i'll say somebody's white and a lot of times white people now are like i'm not white I'm from Spain. (laughs) (laughs) No, honey, you're white. It's okay to be white. Yeah. Even now that we're having this national reckoning, it's okay Mm -hmm. to be white. The point is not that you need to stop being white. The point is that you as a white person need to do the work. And they're like, "Ah, I'd just rather be Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) They don't get it. Yeah. And it's like, it's not about like, oh, everyone is attacking us for being white. It's like, no. they're talking about our behavior and Boom. our thoughts that need to be like acknowledged Boom. and corrected. And the institutions that were created around uh, assumptions about you and your worth and other people's worth. Absolutely. And that's the issue. It's not because, and it's like, if you have a racist thought or you realize that you are a racist or you have some racist beliefs, I feel like the best thing to do, that is the point where people either go like, well, then I'm going to go on Reddit and hate Negroes. (laughs) Or they go, okay, it's time for me to do the work. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, I just wish white people, or now there's the third choice of, I'm no longer white. Mm -hmm. It's like, no. (laughs) The third choice is just opt out. Just opt out of white. I am (laughs) aracial. I am just like completely removed from the spectrum. No, we're going to have... So many Rachel Dolezals in a bit. <laughs> I can feel it, especially with these like connect the writers thing. People are going to start tanning and putting on curly wigs trying to get yeah, writers right. jobs. I'm not white. I am a Colorado. I'm <laughs> Coloradan. <laughs> I'm Colorado. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I was actually, uh, I was really proud of my mom when the uprising started because it was drawing such national attention. My mom 
actually ended up reading a bunch of books and listening to a ton of podcasts like from black people because she wanted to like get more perspective and i was like mom like i didn't have to have a hard talk with you you just agree you just with did it the things. yeah you just did the... i love that also your mom's so hot just so you know is she listening to this how you doing baby she might listen to this hey baby okay <laughs> mom i'm so sorry <laughs> about to... i would be such a good stepdad to you just so you know <laughs> <laughs> I would treat your mom so right and I would I would buy you a bike every Christmas. Just so you know. Just so she knows I got a job now. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh god. <sighs> I'm glad she's keeping it tight. How old is she? I think my mom is like 59. She is she is, and she's a white woman. A white woman looking that good at fifty nine is literally a, a old wives' tale. I've never heard of it before. <laughs> she keeps it tight. Bless her. <laughs> Bless your mama. <laughs> the The title for this episode is going to be Sharia Math- Mattis, comedy writing, racial politics, and my mom. <laughs> my favorite. No. I'm not gonna- <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh god. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. So what, what if we uh, let's, let's, let's shift from me hooking up with your mom, which I'm definitely gonna do. <laughs> I'm gonna romance that woman, um, and I'm gonna treat her right. Come on. Okay. <laughs> but also, let's shift. Uh, what right. were you saying? So let's pivot back to comedy <laughs> writing, right? <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So. What what were some things like for like th- I'm I'm curious myself, but for also listeners who want to get into like comedy writing, what don't. Kind of, okay, <laughs> it's full. Comedy's full. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's closed. It's, it's closed. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are some things you did to get started? Were there some specific books you read, or some people online you watch and kind of learn from, or did you just start just writing? So I just started writing. I was writing jokes long before I got on stage and they were all bad. Um, (laughs) They were all bad. That was, that's the first thing. Just do it. You know what it is? Here's the thing. I watched an interview with Hannibal Burris, who I love. Mm -hmm. um, And he said, (laughs) he said, there's a bunch of books that you can do. There's a bunch of stand up uh, classes that you can take, writing classes that you can take. Mm But I didn't do none of that shit. And I don't think you need to do any of that shit. And so I never took any stand-up classes. I never read any stand- I read comedy books. I watched stand-up. But honestly, but this is the thing. For me, it's a little different because I always watched comedy. Mm -hmm. I always watched comedy TV. I was like, I was always, I think in some ways I was always a comedian. Like I was always making jokes. That's how I didn't get beat as a child. (laughs) You know, I would make my mom laugh enough that she'd be like, all right, (laughs) you deserve this beating, but I'll let you pass. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like, like I think I was always doing comedy. So I was always practicing. I was always copying comedians. Mm -hmm. Like I would always do, I would do other comedian sets right if yeah like uh wanda sykes's comedy central presents from back in the day back when she was married to a man mm-hmm. right <laughs> that's the one i used to do that i could do the whole set oh wow yeah um i didn't have a lot of friends um <laughs> so yes and so like that i think that in many ways has made me kind of like you know i adopt a lot of that mm-hmm. and until i found out my own style right and like even still i find myself adopting the cadence and style of like Chappelle or like 
I mean, I'm not doing it like them, mm-hmm. but I'm try. I'm I can see myself doing the thing yeah. that I would make that I would pretend to do as a child, right? Um, but through filter it through my own jokes and my own experience and my own personality. Mm-hmm. But like, so I honestly am the same as I would say the same with Hannibal Burris. I think these I've seen comics who do comedy classes and are amazing. Mm-hmm. I think they make you better. But if you don't have that. Don't let that be a barrier for you. Stop. Just get on stage. Right. Write the fucking jokes, get on stage, and then write more jokes and get more on stage. So for like uh, sketch writing, though, mm. and like TV type of writing, was there anything you went to or did you were just like, I'm going to write sketches. I'm going to make it work. So I was an English major in college. Okay. And I always wrote uh, little things like that. I always read plays and, and wrote little plays and sketches and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I have some experience with it but i am taking classes as mm-hmm. far as like writing my pilot those things writing a tv script those things require so i took classes uh to, okay. for that for that particular thing and i do believe just if not just to make you feel more comfortable with because everybody formats their tv shows differently mm-hmm. um but just to make you feel more comfortable writing and and going through the process of writing and keeping on task I like writing classes. I'm taking okay. a very good writing class right now where the um Allison Flyerl, uh the one of the writers for Bojack Horseman mm-hmm. and School of Rock, she's my teacher. She's amazing. Whoa. She's you, amazing. Give me the deets afterward. I'd I sh- I for sure will. I definitely will. She's amazing. There's they and they have writers of all kinds, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I picked her class when and this is another thing why I'm so grateful for this job because I've been paying for this class mm. off of my $200 a week fucking <laughs> unemployment. Like, yeah. really just stupid. Just yeah. stupid. <laughs> like, no stupid, no thinking person it's would do It's a little this. irresponsible, but it paid off. It paid off because also she knows, you know, in my name and, like, she's seen me go through some classes and she's helping me with this pilot and then the other classes. And that, the, it's the support and getting your name out there. Right. That's why you do those things. That's the reason why. Because if you you... If you're getting on stage, you probably already have the talent, the inclination, you you like jokes, you and all it is is to do and learn. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want because it's so expensive. And I and the problem is comedy is always full of fucking rich kids. Yeah. And that's and people are always annoyed by it. Yep. Always. <laughs> so the reason is, you know what I mean? If you that means you gotta do a job and not take a comedy class, do it. You're gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be fine. Just go on stage and do. Just write the thing. Just okay. make the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think for just stand-up itself, you just got to go for it. Same with sketch. I would say with sketch writing, just write it. Yeah. Just write it and 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 make it and put it out there and it'll probably be shit. But just do it. And, yeah. And, like, eventually you'll learn. Yeah. Yeah. So what what is your personal writing process like? Do you set aside time to, yes. like, write stuff? And you're like, from the, like, how long do you write for? It depends. Mm-hmm. Um, with with me right now, because I'm taking the class, a lot of the times, like what I'm working on is the pilot. So she's like, I have deadlines, right? Right. Um, and so, which is great. Um, and so I'll be like, I'll do this until it's done. Yeah. Because I haven't had a job. And so, <laughs> and so I could just do that or I'll set aside the day. When I did have a job, it was like, this is my comedy writing day. Mm-hmm. And I do it for as long as I can because I'm not the kind of person who can sit down and just do unless I've already planned it. So my my thing is that I I'll do an outline. I a lot of times I ideate like I just write like oh, that's funny, you know. I do that. I get really high and I just do that for a little yeah. bit. Um, a lot of times I pace and I talk to myself. That's mm. another big thing. Talking to myself and I perform on stage when I'm in my apartment. 
Okay. Yeah. That, Interesting. Yeah, and then I write things down. Okay. Because that's the that's how I do it. I talk, 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 and then I write down. And I talk, 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 and then I write down. And then I I read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then I try it again. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's uh, it's and it, and uh, it does sound frustrating and stupid because it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a stupid process. Don't yeah. do it. Find a better one. <laughs> that's fair. I, I I struggle with the sitting down to write. I'm like the type where it's like I I write in my phone. I kind of have ideas, and then like in the moment, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to spend a couple minutes just flesh it out a bit, and then I work it out on stage, which is no, not good. that's no, that's very good. The thing is, I don't do enough mics to be able to do that. I do mics at my house. I perform in my house, and if it makes mm-hmm. me laugh, then I think it's good. Yeah, and if it doesn't make me laugh, I know it's bad. Right, you know what I mean? Which means like. A, I don't perform a lot of jokes. I don't do a lot of new jokes because, you know yeah. what I mean? I do, I do mics in my house. I do mics in my head um, mm. like a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I also don't sit down. I stand up and I pace. Yeah. I pace and, and talk, 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 talk and pace and then sit down. Mm. And then I get up and pace and pace, pace, pace. Sometimes I go for a long walk and then I'll stop in the middle of the street mm. and start writing. And then I go home and write. You know what mm. I mean? It's a, it's a chaotic Stupid process, and I hope to find a better one. <laughs> I really do. It's probably not healthy. As just has been working at Netflix, I've just been walking back. I'm, I'm just mumbling to myself like a fucking crazy person, and then and then writing in my phone. Oh my gosh, it's stupid. It's crazy. I'm a crazy person. That's amazing. <laughs> I found I got this desk as a standing desk and I got it. And I noticed that when I'm actually working, like doing my job, if I stand, I do my work so much better than mm-hmm. if I sit. Yeah. And I just think it's that like just being up and like fidgeting. It gets your mind. I'm not a scientist, but I think that's how yeah. it works. Like it's yeah. blood and your, ba- and your brain and your brain goes boom, 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 and then ideas. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> Whereas when you're sitting and you're like, although there are times when I'm like, hmm, we must make the art. And then I make a great meme. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. but mostly i think this idea of writers sitting at a typewriter smoking a cigarette drinking whiskey like hemingway is just not yeah everybody yeah yeah <laughs> there there was one time in uh i think it was college but i, I wrote uh, a terrible like musical like a t- it was an excuse for a musical but basically it was like a really shitty like satire play script like for it was called spy the musical and it was just like a shitty james bond type like script or something and i just like wrote it just to like do it because i was i had this idea i was like this would be fun i ended up walking down to pearl street mall which was like kind of far from me but it was like kind of an outdoorsy area and i just sat on a bench and just typed in my phone for like three hours Fuck yeah. i was like this is weird fuck yeah that's <laughs> great that's great i would i would watch that spy the musical Ooh, I, I probably have the script somewhere in my email like of your but you i'll have should... to take a i'll have to take a look at it because it was it was dumb you should talk to like Dylan Adler, some of these musical comedy musicians. The, the ending of it is the spy finally confronts the villain and the villain takes his mask off and he's also the spy and that's just the, the end of it. And I was like, at the time I was like, that's so goddamn funny, but like, it's so stupid. I love when you're like, <laughs> see, that's another thing that I do is my writing process. Like I'll look at my joke and I'll be like, that's fucking genius, I'm a genius. And then I'll come back to him like, this is trash. Yep. This is garbage. The, the long titty joke was cooking for so long mm-hmm. before I actually got on stage and did it. Really? Because I was like, first of all, it was very intimate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very, yeah. you know what I mean? And because it, and it's an issue that I've always had. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I didn't know if it would be relatable. And it's vulgar. 
Yeah. And so I was like, I love how you're like, yeah. Yeah. I was so I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah. I have some <laughs> notes for you. Some notes. Maybe <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> but like, so it was cooking and I would do it to myself. And then I'd be like, that's so funny. And then I'd do it to myself and I'd be like, this is disgusting. This is terrible. What was I thinking? <laughs> and then wouldn't do it. I would just do the same show because I like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then when I did it and it worked, it was like, you know what I mean? So here's the thing. You never really know. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you're like, I'm a goddamn genius. And then you read it back and then you're like, this is trash. Yeah. It might be your brain just trying to attack you. Yeah. So try everything. It might be really funny to mm-hmm. have the spy realize he's just, and then to have it. Because also Dylan Adler could be could play the lead and his brother could play. There you go. Boom. Because in my mind, it was just like a Monty Python type end where it's just like they he takes off the mask. They're both the spy. They look at the camera and it just cuts out. Or something. Oh, it's not like, a stage musical. You want to make a. It would like I, I it would, the title is Spy the Musical. Mm-hmm. I don't. There is three horrible songs in there that I wrote just to have the title be Spy the Musical. <laughs> you should work with a co- musical comedian. I, I'll find the script and see what I like. It's I know I sent it to my friends forever ago, so it's probably buried in my email. But I'm sure I could find it. And find it. I'm gonna take a look and see what I wrote. I'm excited. I would I would read it because that was probably five years before I started comedy. Like it was a long time before then. You'd be surprised at like what you'll you have come up with before you started comedy yeah Yeah. well i mean there was one my first stand-up set was seven years before my first time actually doing starting comedy it was just at like my college dorm hall they had like an open mic night and me and my friends went to watch and some dude got on stage and made a joke about putting icy hot on his balls and i was like that's so cheap literally we spent all of high school joking about that so when he was done they're like does anyone else want to do something where everyone signed up and i was just like okay and i went up and told a story about how my dog died and it was really sad but really funny and it murdered it <gasps> killed and it was just all improvised and my buddy found his old phone from those days and he had audio <gasps> recorded it so he oh sent God. it to me and i, was I like, would love to hear that that's great you should play it on the podcast I don't know about that. Or we'll make see. that Patreon content. Yeah, that's Patreon content. When it, Eventually, when this podcast gets big enough for me to have a Patreon. <laughs> I mean, listen, no podcast is too small for a Patreon. It'll just be your mom and me. And you, yeah. <laughs> and me, because, you know. <laughs> 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 Stop <it>. jokes. <laughs> You're crazy, hot mom. <laughs> um, that's so funny. Like, I also had like a weird experience, like where before I started stand up, I did a, a spoken word poetry thing, and I think and it killed. And of course, it was funny. It wasn't yeah. good. It was about my first period, and it was very graphic. You go up like right after someone's super serious slam poem, and you've just got this hilarious period story. Yes, like <laughs> yes, exactly that. <laughs> And it killed. It That's killed. Amazing. It was called Cherche La Femme. I do not remember. I don't know if I could ever find it. Because it was just written on a piece of scrappy paper. <laughs> but like, the, it was just about like my first period and how heavy it was. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And it was like, ah! And uh, that was probably my first, I would say that was, if if that, your like, improvised story about your, mm-hmm. your dead dog is is like your first doing comedy i would probably then i would say that would be my first doing comedy it was like senior year of high school oh wow yeah nice yeah Yeah. it's interesting because i think a lot of comedians have those like little things pre like that lead up to them doing comedy seriously honestly you know what honestly here's the, the biggest thing that helped me do comedy and get on stage 
teaching English in Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> that was cuz I have cuz I don't have a lot of bombing stories mm-hmm. in New York, but I have a billion bombing stories in Vietnam. Yeah. Because if you ever bombed in front of a bunch of like Vietnamese toddlers, they will let you know that you <laughs> suck. You know what I mean? And you have to fucking pull out all the stops. I cried. I once cried oh my while reading a Dr. Seuss book to a bunch of fucking Vietnamese fourth graders. They were so mean to me. <laughs> but they were right. I sucked. I was bombing it. And like, once you, because you, you can't be nervous and you're in charge and you're controlling yeah. the energy of the room, which is what you do as a comic. Mm-hmm. I think if anything, doing that every day, like five, six times a day uh, in front of a classroom of kids who barely know what you're saying. Yeah. You have to be funny. You mm-hmm. have to get their attention. You have to control the energy of the room and you have to do it for an hour and a half at least. Wow. So I think when I started doing comedy, I was like, I can fucking do this. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> once you've cried on stage in front of a bunch of kids, <laughs> you, you can do it. And I, I was just thinking about this morning, like about bombing. And I think it, I was like, I think it's so funny when you watch a comedian, you know, and they start to bomb and their fight or flight kicks in, just seeing what happens to them. Like, how do they yes. handle it? Like, okay, this is going to go one of two ways. They're going to crash and burn and just leave the stage or they're going to go crazy and try or, to pull some stuff out. Or I like when, when comedians make jokes about the fact that they are bombing. As yeah. they are bombing. Yep. That is my fate. That's the mark of a true good comic. Yeah. Like I saw. Oh, okay. Well, he didn't bomb, but I saw Eagle Wit uh, do do a set. I don't really know him like that, but he's really nice. Um, I saw Eagle Wit do a set and uh, this white girl in the crowd was like not feeling something that he was saying. Mm-hmm. And it was like that kind of she was like talking to him during his set. Yeah. And he like handled it. Like, because he's a pro, but he handled it. He was just like, he just, you know, shifted the attention to this. Started making jokes about that. It worked. He started making jokes about the discomfort that everybody else was feeling in Mm. the room. It was, and it's like, I mean, that is, that's what you, that's, yeah, you can write some jokes. Yeah. Not all your jokes are going to resonate with every person, but if you can get on stage and change the energy and make the shit funny, even though, you know, during a bomb and then continue bombing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's that's skill. That's the skill that you have to like develop. Absolutely. Know? I think it's like what what I find, I talk about this in my episode, is like I had like a breakthrough moment this summer where I did a show and I did all my jokes that were like my A material from that like month. And it just I like didn't bomb, but I bombed for myself by my standards. Yes. And I realized it was because I didn't check in with the audience and just have a conversation with them. Yes. I wasn't reaching out. I was just doing this like script of my jokes yes. when I should have been like more loose and personable. Boom. And like, that's how you control the energy. Boom. Yes. Boom. And I, do, I still do that. I still fuck up jokes that I know are good because I just, my energy's off. And so I'm, I'm just, the, 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 mm-hmm. the, you know what I mean? I've, I've done that. And I, I, you know, you have to, click yourself out of it by saying dumb something dumb or like something that's not going to work but like bounces you back into the moment yeah um and that's a skill too because after a while especially if you've done this joke you're just like and you're like this is my a game you know sometimes you it's sometimes you can feel overwhelmed something may be going on personally Mm -hmm. and now you're detached from the energy of the thing that you've always wanted to do right you You know like some jokes that are just like really emotionally charged if you're not if you can't 
access that emotion Boom. that day, it just comes out weird. Yes. It's like that's another thing I do is um because especially because of my fibroids and because of my period, like I don't always have it. I know I don't always have it. So I do some of my jokes in different ways mm-hmm. where I can still make it somewhat funny, even yeah. if I don't have the because people always talk about, oh, she's a real energetic comedian. And some days I'm not. You know what I mean? Some yeah. days I don't have the energy. And mm-hmm. so I still have to make it funny. So mm-hmm. I practice doing my jokes in ways that I can do when I don't have the energy. Right. That's another I would suggest if you have like some mental health problem or physical something that keeps you, you know what I mean? Just be prepared for having to half ass it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, ain't nothing wrong with a C minus. <laughs> yeah, we all gotta do it. You definitely take those hits sometimes. You got I've, to. I've had those. You're, you got to. You're like so good at saving a set though. I've noticed like when when we did um our show Slam Comedy with Little Panda, the yes. one, yeah. That one I could tell that you were like a little distressed on stage. Oh my god. But you were doing so well with your save that you were like all the energy was staying up because you were saving after every joke. After every so joke well. bombed. Yeah. Yes, that's that's yeah. the thing that I also kind of get off on a bit. That's yeah. the, that's the thing. That's the thing that you want. If you do a joke and it lands and everyone laughs, it's great. But if you do a riff and it lands and everybody laughs, especially a crowd that doesn't want to laugh, like with these Brooklyn hipsters, they don't want to laugh. If you get them to laugh because of something that you just thought of, it's like, oh, I'm such a god. <laughs> yeah, look yep. at me. That's... Look at my pussy lips out. Like, that's how you feel <laughs> when you do a riff and it fucking works. You know yep. what I mean? And the same when you're sitting in the audience and you're watching a comic do, like, I've memorized every, I've memorized, like, I could do, I could do Usama Siddiqui's. Uh, most of his sets yeah any of his jokes we don't need him anymore <laughs> <laughs> i'm here um and so like i love it when he riffs and it works i also love it when he riffs and it bombs yeah <laughs> well my thing is like at, at our mic that we do is when i host our mic i riff after every comedian i don't care yes. what it is yes and like I'd say 80% of them bomb hard, yeah. but that 20% that land, it's like, oh yeah. You feel it. Like, uh, it's so hard not to react on stage. Like, you liked that? Yeah. <laughs> and in front of comedians, I can just be like, yeah. Yeah. All right. yeah. Oh but God, like, yes. In front I love of audience, that. you can't be you can't like, yeah, it. you like that? You, you I gotta just be came like, up with that. Yeah, that's what I do on the regular. But inside you're like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You got to play it cool and be like, oh, and this riff transitioned into one of my jokes. Ooh, yes. amazing. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, God. That's so, oh, God. Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the closest to an orgasm, at least that I have been <laughs> in a really long time. So we're down to our uh, last 10 minutes here. Okay. So I want to ask you something. Okay. This is kind of a question I ask all of my guests. Throughout your comedy career, mm-hmm. has there been like a message you stick to or is there something you tell yourself to keep doing it? Is there like a theme to your work? I think so. I think the theme that I always try to do is um, talking about things that people don't normally talk about that I believe are really important fibroids fibroids <laughs> my uh the body positivity the titty joke mm-hmm. the um it's even like talking about uh my queerness and me having sex with men that was a point that was something that i used to be very like uh insecure about and that people don't a lot of queer especially women don't talk about a lot of lesbians uh, or people who identify as lesbian or people who identify as queer that don't want to talk about that kind of stuff 
uh, they don't talk about it. And I like to talk about it. Right. Uh, and like things like that. That, But ultimately, I want to be funny. And I want to feel like when you've left listening to my set, you feel like she was funny and she talked about some shit that I've always thought about but never really talked about out loud. Yeah. That's what I try. That's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I always succeed in doing yeah. it. Yeah. But it's what I try to do. Like, I always thought the, like, my notes on your long titty joke. <laughs> but what I always liked about that joke is, one, it's a body positivity joke. But it's also about you. And it's kind of vulnerable to put yourself out there and be like, hey, I got long titties. Oh, but my God, it's yeah. like, it's so funny that it's like, you you build this tension of here's this topic. But then it's this release of the laughter. It's like, oh, what a relief. Yeah. You know? And I've had people come up to me and be like, yo, I also have love. There are there's so much and that's why i was like oh i don't know if we do that my body is weird everybody's body is weird and we need to be talking about it because this idea that this is the only thing that like boobs look like that leads people to crazy and i don't want to get on stage and be like you guys we need to talk about body variants you know what i mean yeah i want it to be funny right and it sticks with you if it's funny right for me things always stick with me if it's funny so i try to do things where like I hope that stuck with you because it was funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. It's just, and it's like, it's so profound. It just delivers the message really well. It's the same thing with your bed style joke. Thank it's like, you. It's very clear gentrification joke, but when you just add so much flavor into it and when you, I'm from bed style, like you. I, it's so sharp. It just, it's in my mind forever. I like, love that. Thank you. And it's also like, I like, because I also felt, that's why I always do that one up top is because it's like, I'm a weird person. Yeah. I'm a black girl who went to private boarding school mm-hmm. and like is into weird things. Yeah. And but I also am from Bed-Stuy. I grew up working class. I grew up kind of poor. You know what I mean? And so those are a bunch of things that people aren't used to seeing. Right. And I I like that joke because it's like a succinct way to be like, "Hey, this is what I am. It's weird, but this is what I am." And then right. people go, "Okay, that's what she is." Yeah. And then I can just do my set. Yeah, I I, I, like I totally agree. And what's good is like when you started off, like it used to mean something. Yes, it sounds so hard and intense. And then you go, it scared the shit out of everybody at my academic summer camp. (laughs) Then it's like, oh, it's the unwinding of the expectation. And then you can be weird. Yes, and then I can be me without people being like, hold up, she's weird. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love it. It's so great. Thank you. You know what? This is, I think you're hitting on me. And I, I let's close the door. Right outside. <laughs> she can't, she can't hear. <laughs> so we're, we're going to finish up here, but uh, do you have anything you want to plug? I should have asked you up top. What are your plugs? Oh shit. I'll uh, put them all in the episode description so people can see them. Oh my God. I don't know. I mean, like I'm, I'm coming out with, that's going to be months from now, but months from now, look out for my pilot called fibroids a love story um <laughs> okay please uh and uh and uh loud bitch comedy there will be another one at the end of the month i okay. don't know when. loud bitch comedy is on instagram right I no oh well, yeah yes loud bitch comedy on instagram and sharia mattis comedy on instagram and sharia did that on twitter and uh um just check and netflix is a joke check it out you'll check 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 out which ones are my jokes awesome yeah (laughs) watch all the credits at the end of every episode (laughs) all right right, guys well congratulations again on the writing thank you so much thank you thank you so much for coming on today this was so fun yes this was a blast and uh listeners uh at home in your car on your commute just give a round of applause for for sharia for being on and getting the writing job to start her writing career yes i'm not yes (laughs) 
no more unemployment. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening. Thank and you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Yes, it's of course. So appreciated. Yes. All right, quitters. That's the end of our episode. And I will talk to you next week with another guest who I don't know yet, but we will figure it out. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Bye. Bye. Bye.